I love the written word. But you know, until the written word becomes the spoken word in our heart, it's just a bunch of words. You know, one day you were hearing out of the written word how Jesus died for us and how he was buried and rose again on the third day. Something transpired inside of here and you said yes. And then all of a sudden, new birth happened, and now you're on an adventure, a journey. Well, let's look at Acts 16 and see what happened to this fellow. Up in uh, verse 16, it talks about how Paul and Silas were going along preaching the gospel, and this slave girl who was owned by some folks, she was a demon-possessed fortune teller. How many know that all fortune tellers are demon-possessed? And you know the sad thing is most of those people really want to help people. They just don't know how to help in the right way. But this girl was demon-possessed, and she went around following Paul, shouting, These men are from the Most High God, telling the way of salvation. Was she speaking the truth? She was, but it wasn't a very good witness, was it? And Paul got kind of tired of it after a while, and he turned around, and he told the spirit in that girl to come out. And that spirit left. And now this girl couldn't fortune tell anymore. And so the owners got very upset with Paul and Silas. They caused a ruckus. They caused a, a mob scene. And Paul and Silas were beaten. And let's look at verse 24. So the jailer put them into the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the stocks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. Now can I ask you a question? If you'd been beaten bloody hurting with pain, would you be singing and praising and singing hymns to God, or would you be murmuring and complaining? It's a valid question, is it not? I believe we're going to come into a day and an era where we might have to look at this a little closer and be willing to suffer for the cause. We've been very spoiled here in the United States. We don't have to suffer much except for some word speaking. But I keep reading the news and I keep reading of more increase of anti-Christians. There was a guy arrested the other day in the United States of America for standing on the street corner and telling people about Jesus. That's all he was doing. Isn't that interesting? So, are you willing to suffer for Jesus? Let's go back here. They were singing hymns to God and the other prisoners were listening. You do not suffer alone. People are watching you. They're taking note of how you're handling adversity. And if you will do it with God's power and God's grace, they will do exactly what happened here. The prison was suddenly shaken to its foundation. All the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. Hmm. What a day. What a day. Amen. <laughs> Can you imagine those people? They're chained. Paul and Silas were in stocks. And all of a sudden, they all fall off. The doors fly open. Woohoo! Let's see here. What, what happened here? The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself! We're all here! And the jailer called for the, for the lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Saul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? 
You see, he recognized something about them. First off, they were singing when they should have been crying and complaining. They were praising God for whom they served. And everybody listened and watched. So the jailer said, I want what you got. In other words, what must I do to be saved? And they replied, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Amen. Well, the rest of the story is, Paul and Silas shared the truth of Jesus with them in the jailer, and all of his household were saved. Amen. And it says they were baptized, rejoicing that they now knew their God. Okay, let's look at the word saved in verse 31. I have a PC study Bible, and I can click on any word and go to the Hebrew and Greek, and it tells me what that means. This word saved means to be healed, to be delivered, to have plenty, to be protected, and of course, saved for heaven. Isn't that interesting? Healed. Delivered, plenty, protected, and heaven. Well, that's what it means. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and what? You'll be healed. You'll be delivered. You'll have plenty. You'll be protected. And you have heaven as a future home. That's the promise. We don't have any problem believing God for heaven, do we? It's the healed, it's the protected, it's the delivered and the plenty we have difficulty believing God for. Y'all don't shout me down now because I'm speaking truth. Is that the truth? Is it the truth? Is it the Word of God? Who's lying? Who is lying? I'm reading a book called I Believe in Miracles. It's by a guy named Barton Seavey. I've never heard of the fellow, but evidently he was quite something back a few years ago up in the northern parts of the United States and all over the world. I'm, I'm not, maybe just a little past half finished with it, and I haven't read of a miracle yet that he hasn't seen and experienced through the hand of God. He goes into detail about being confronted with church people saying God doesn't heal today. That stuff stopped. You see, we don't have any problem believing for heaven. But we have a problem believing for the rest of the promise. Healing. Deliverance. Plenty. And protection. There are some things that will steal these promises right out from you. Jesus said when a person receives the word, the devil comes. Look at your neighbor and say, the devil's coming. But the good news is, we win. Let's look at some things that will stop you from getting the more. We sang about it, more, more. More love, more power. God's just waiting to give you more. But actually, we need to give Him more of us. Because, see, when you're saved and filled with Holy Spirit, you get Him. We didn't get His pinky. We didn't get His big toe. We got Him. The one who raised Jesus from the dead. The one when the Creator said, let there be. Boom! He did it. We have Him. So He needs more of us. Is that right? And then we'll get the more. We need more. 
of him, most definitely. Okay, well, how, what's going to happen here? I'm just going straight from the Word of God. It's chock full of examples, but I've just pulled one here and there. Matthew 13 talks about people being offended. Ugh. Did you know offense will stop the more? Did you know that offense will stop the blessings of the Lord? Someone does something and you get offended. You just cut yourself off from the blessings of God. We cannot afford the luxury of being offended. It will stop the supernatural. How do I know that? In chapter 13, it said that Jesus went into his hometown. In verse 57 of 13, it says his hometown people were deeply offended and refused to believe him. Then Jesus told them, a prophet is honored everywhere except in his own hometown and among his own family. And so he did only a few miracles because of what? Their unbelief. Offense will shut it down. Just remember that next time someone says something that is not kind to you or someone does something that is not nice to you. Just remember, offense will stop the more. You want more of God? you got to give Him more of you, which means you lay down the offense. You lay it at the foot of the cross. Well, sister, you just don't know what they did. really doesn't matter what they did. What matters is you lay it down at the foot of the cross. Get rid of it so the supernatural will continue to be part of your life. We must live in the supernatural. Why? Because when you're born again, you are a supernatural person. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, let him have more of you. This book, I'm just amazed at the miracles that he has seen God do. It is Amazing. People paralyzed for 20, 30, 40 years, popping up out of wheelchairs, running around the church building. Who would like to see that? I would. We've seen the crippled walk in Uganda, the blind see, but you know what? I want more. I want to see more. That little girl that evidently when she was a toddler had fell and broken her hands and they were back on her arm backwards. I wanted to see them more. And I prayed and I prayed, and I'm still believing God that that little girl's hands one day, and they may already snap straight, because I lift her up, and I believe it. But I wanted to see it right then. And I'm just saying while I'm reading this book, Lord, you are making me jealous for more. You are making me hungry for more. One lady couldn't eat. She absolutely could not eat. They had started pureeing baby food and even straining that, and she could not eat. The doctors could not find out what was wrong with her. She was almost dead, and he prayed for her instantly healed. She went and had a big old meal. She hadn't eaten in months. I want to see that. One lady was deaf. She got prayed for and something black fell out of her ear. Isn't that interesting? Do you want to see that? I do. Do you know why that's inside of us? Because that's what we're supposed to be doing. What Jesus say in Mark 16, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not is already condemned. We don't have any problem with that, do we? But what does the next verse say? And these signs will follow those that believe. Oh, are signs and wonders following after you? 
Hmm? Well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to believe God for the supernatural. Well, you ask Him. And as the Holy Spirit brings up the hunger in you, you respond. And then you're, you're walking maybe to chow, and, and you get this impression. See that boy, that, that uh, guy over there? Go pray, just pray. You, the deal is to be obedient. To be obedient. When he was in uh, training with me, training me how to hear his voice, I was in San Angelo, Texas, and I was walking from one building about four blocks down to another, and this homeless guy was leaned up against one of the buildings. And I walked by, and I, I said hello, and walked on, and then I stopped. And I whirled around, and we went back up to him, and I said, I just want to ask you a question. How is your relationship with Jesus? I'll never forget it. I mean, it's still embedded in my memory. He looked up, and it was his eyes. He said, ma'am, it's just fine. And I said, well, I just want to check and say, God bless you. And walked about 15 foot, and the thought hit me. I just spoke to an angel. It was the eyes. They were not of this world. <laughs> oh, that's hard to believe, sister. Well, you better believe it. Did you know Hebrews 1.14 says, Are not angels ministering spirits sins to serve those who will inherit salvation? I was ministering at a retreat about three years ago, and I saw this lady taking pictures, and I didn't think anything about it. I kept ministering. A few days later, they emailed me one of the pictures. There was a big angel in front of me in the picture. I believe that because I believe the Word. We just have to learn how to work with God. We have to believe Him. We have to respond to His promises. If we don't respond to the good news of Jesus, what's going to happen? You're not going to get saved. Right? You have to what? Believe. You have to do something. You believe it in your heart. It's got to come out of your mouth. Amen? And Yes, and in James it says, oh, you say you have faith. You say you have faith. You say you have faith. I will show you my faith by what I do. That's a word. That's right. That's not even my message there. Okay. Offense is going to steal the more. Go like this. Got that one. <laughs> Let's go to the next one. Presumption. This is an interesting story out of 2 Kings chapter 5. Very interesting story. There was a fellow who was a commander of the army, and the king of Aram had great admiration for the man called Naaman, who was the commander of his armies. But Naaman was a mighty warrior, even though he suffered leprosy. I get emails from all over the world because of my website, and this fella in India wanted me to come along beside him, and he sent me pictures of a leper colony that he works with. There's elderly ladies that didn't have any fingers because leprosy had eaten them off, or ears, or nose, or toes. That's what leprosy does. And Naaman had this dreaded disease. And I, I, I just am amazed at this. At this time, Armenian raiders had invaded the land of Israel. And among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman's wife as a maid. One day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish my master would go see the prophet in Samaria. He would heal him of his leprosy. So Naaman told the king what the young girl from Israel had said. Go and visit the prophet, the king of Aram told him. 
I will send a letter of instruction for you to take to the king of Israel. And so Naaman started out carrying as gifts 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold. Wouldn't you like to have that today? Ten sets of clothing. The letter to the king of Israel said, With this letter I present my servant Naaman. I want you to heal him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes in dismay and said, This man sends me a leper to heal. Am I God that I can give life and take it away? I can see he's just trying to pick a fight with me. <laughs> well, that was misunderstanding, wasn't it? But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes in dismay, he sent this message to him. Why are you so upset? Send Naaman to me and he will learn that there is a true prophet here in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses, chariots, and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then your skin will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Well, it sounded simple enough, did it not? If you had this terrible disease that was going to eat all your fingers and toes and nose and ears off, would you think, you know, that sounds, that's, that's easy, I can do that. Would you think that? But not Naaman. He became angry and stalked away and he said, I thought that he would certainly come out to meet me. I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call on the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers of Damascus and Abana and the Farfar better than any of these rivers of Israel? Shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. You see what happened was when Naaman, when he was traveling all that distance, you know, they just didn't get in the car and, you know, four hours later they're a few hundred miles away. It was laborious to travel. And I'm sure he had plenty of time to think, okay, this is what's going to happen. The prophet will come out. And he knows that I'm going to be a dignitary, so he'll come out to honor me. And he'll just go like this, and I'll get healed. What was he doing? Presuming. He was presuming. And when it didn't happen the way he thought it should happen, what happened? He gets mad. Was it God's fault? It was Naaman's fault for presuming. Well, let's read the rest of the story. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, would you have done it? So you should certainly obey him when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him. I'm sure he was going, I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it. I just don't want to do it in the River Jordan. But he obeyed. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's and he was healed. Now let me ask you something. How many have received a promise from God? You've got the promise. Now, have you presumed how God's going to do it? If you say no, you're probably lying. <laughs> it, is, it is in our nature to get it all figured out. It's in our nature to believe, okay, this is what's going to happen. This, 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 and this, and this. And it's going to happen at this time. And then when this, this, and this doesn't happen, and this time comes and goes, what happened? We get mad at God. Am I right? Amen. We get mad at him because it didn't turn out the way we thought it should or when we thought it should or how we thought it should. When all the while God was just saying, just believe. Just believe and I'll give you the instructions. And when I give you the instructions, you simply obey. And then you'll have the promise. How do I know that? It is exactly the same way that salvation occurs. What is the promise? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. When you do that, then it happens. But if you don't do that and then you wonder why you're not saved, 
Is that a stupid thing? Mm -hmm. But why can't we transfer that same thought over here on the promise that God has spoken to us directly or through the Word of God or through someone else speaking? We've taken it, but yet we're presuming how and when and the method. Let's repent of that. And say, Lord, that promise you gave me, I'm just going to leave it with you. And when you instruct me, then I'll obey. But the promise is mine, and it's as good as done. The next thing that will keep you from being saved, as healed, delivered, plenty, protected, and heaven is circumstances. Now, y'all don't shout me down on that one. The Word of God is just as true in here as it is out there. Amen? Let's look at the Word in Matthew 14. I love this story. It's uh, starting with verse 22 where Jesus told, he insisted, that's what my Bible says, he insisted the disciples get back in the boat and cross to the other side of the lake. And he sent the people home. After sending them home, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. Night fell while he was there alone. And meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land, for a strong wind had risen, and they were fighting heavy waves. About three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the water, they were terrified. In their fear, they cried out, It's a ghost! But Jesus spoke to them at once and said, Don't be afraid. He said, take courage. I am here. Then Peter called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And Jesus said, yes, come. That was an invitation to participate in the supernatural. The same invitation we have. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. Now here's the key. But when he saw the strong wind and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. And Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? That's in red. You know, I hear the Lord telling me that. Do you want the more? You've asked for the more, but here you are. I don't have the more, Lord. We cannot afford the luxury of looking around at the circumstances. We can't afford to do that. We've got to have our eyes riveted on Jesus. He has issued the supernatural invitation. Go! Preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out devils, cleanse the lepers. Freely you have received, freely give. That's the invitation and the command. But yet, we'll pray for someone and nothing happens. Now we've got a choice. Are we going to look at the circumstances? Or are we going to anchor our hope in Jesus? Are we Are going to keep our eyes on Him? When I was first learning how to walk in the word of knowledge, I was in church, and I had this word of knowledge about a fellow's left elbow. It was man, a man's left elbow. My heart was nearly beating out of my chest. I was very bashful and shy back in those days, and I stood up out of obedience to the Holy Spirit. And I gave the word, and not one person responded. And I sat down, and can I tell you, every devil in Scurry County jumped on my brain. Every one of them. Yeah, there's a bunch of them. And they were all messing with my head. I don't even know what the rest of the service consisted of, because I was being beat to a pulp. You fool. 
You just made a fool out of yourself. You didn't hear God. You just made a fool out of yourself. God doesn't do that stuff today. I mean, he was beating me bloody. I was beginning to look at the circumstances. And I was sinking fast. Have you ever been there? Yeah, boy. I could hardly wait to get up and sneak out of the church. I hoped nobody would see me. I was mortified. I was embarrassed. I was dying a slow death inside. And I got up and I was walking to the door. I was just totally defeated by this time because the devil had had quite some time to beat me up. The preacher preached a long time. <laughs> and as I got toward the door toward the foyer, this little fella come up and said, Sister, sister, that was me. And when you said that, this warm stuff come all over my elbow and look. I just wanted to slap him. <laughs> I did. But I refrained. Being the Christian I am and was. I said, that's good, brother. I'm, I'm real happy for you. And he said, thank you for being obedient. And I just wanted to go, well, why weren't you? <laughs> But see, I was looking at the circumstances, and I allowed myself to be tormented. Have you been there? You cannot take your eyes off of Jesus. Are we going to make mistakes? Well, of course we are. We're human. We're going to make mistakes. But the thing is, keep your eyes focused on Jesus, and he'll see you through. He'll see you through. That's not just an old saying. He'll see you through. He will. And I've got plenty more stories just like that one. Different place, different people. After the word, after I'm leaving, or the next time I come. But I've learned if I will just be obedient and not let the devil beat me up, then I can get the more. Because I want more. Guys, we have been invited to participate in the things of God. We cannot look at the circumstances. And when circumstances of life come and we're hanging on to a promise, if God has told you something, then, brother, you can take it to the bank. It's going to happen. But you can't give up your hope. You cannot give up your hope. You can't. You must hope and believe God. Trust Him. Trust Him for His time and trust Him because He is. He knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. He knows. And it's just up to us to work with Him and believe Him and not cast away our confidence. Not look at the wind. Not listen to the howling of the wind and seeing the waves splash way higher than we are. We must look to Jesus. I believe if Peter had not been distracted by the circumstances, he would have walked on the water all the way there and not sunk. I just believe that because of what was going on. But he did sing. But here comes where it's awesomely wonderful, the grace of God. Jesus did what? He reached immediately and pulled Peter up, and they together walked back to the boat. But then he got reprimanded. Little faith, little faith, you've seen all of this, little faith, what's the deal, why can't you believe? If you'll read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he was always challenging them to come up higher, to believe for the more, to believe, to reach out, to stretch out your faith. Right. 
He was always challenging. The next thing that will rob you, that will keep you from having the more, the more healed, delivered, plenty, protected in heaven, is religion. Now, this one's a little touchy, but it's just the truth. It is just the truth. In Matthew 16, just a page over in my Bible, Jesus said in verse 6, Watch out! Jesus warned them, Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And on down in verse 12, they didn't understand what he was talking about because they had been arguing. They had forgot the bread. And they were talking back and forth. We forgot the bread. We forgot the bread. And then Jesus said, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So they thought he was reprimanding them for forgetting the bread. They just couldn't get it sometime. And Jesus said, that's not what I'm talking about. I am talking about the yeast of the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Deceptive teaching will stop you from the more. It will rob you of the promises. It will rob you of experiencing the reality of Holy Spirit power. How does religion rob you of the more? In Bible days, the Pharisees and Sadducees were making up rules. So many of the people were so burdened they couldn't do it. They couldn't even find God because of all of the rules and regulations. Today, there's so many different, in the Christian realm, there's so many ideas of teaching. So many different theologies. I am firmly convinced you could take a hundred scholars well-known and studied in Hebrew and Greek and give them one topic, lock them up for a year, and they're going to come out with a hundred opinions. I believe that. Because they can back anything up from any angle. So what are we supposed to believe? Jesus. Keep it simple. Believe Jesus. In the denomination that I was raised, I was taught that when the last apostle, John, when he took his last breath, that was it for the supernatural. That will rob you. That will not get you the more. That will make you a victim of demonic activity. That will render you helpless and hopeless. You have a form of godliness on the outside, but no power. And that's most of the church in this country, sad to say. They could be having a service, and Holy Spirit could get up and walk out, and they'd never know it. They'd continue on. Because we've got this form of godliness. We don't depend on Him. We don't depend on Him. Paul said, when you come together, one of you's got a hymn, a song, a word from God, a message in tongues, an interpretation. Don't see that very often. And it's real refreshing when I do. Because that means we have to depend on Holy Spirit. In this book, there's a little chapter on when he was praying in, in a supernatural language and someone knew the language he was praying in. Isn't that amazing? Several different times this happened to this evangelist. He'd be praying in his supernatural language and it would shift into a different sounding language and somebody in the audience would know exactly what he was saying because they spoke that language. And in most of the cases this happened, he said he was, he was casting out devils and this is what he was saying, I give you no choice, you must leave. Yes. <laughs> I love to cast out devils because it makes people free. Myself was tormented for years and years. And when I got free, it felt so good. Peace 
in my heart where I had been constantly tormented. That's why I like to cast out devils. Hallelujah. But if you're a believer, see, you're supposed to be doing that. You mean I can't? Yes. That's what Jesus said. It's in red. I believe the red. I was, I was reading a little article this week, and this lady said, when I get real confused, I just run and read the red. I thought, That's good. I think I'll do that. Just run and read the red. Read the words of Jesus. The more I get out and minister in these foreign countries, the more I realize, just keep it simple. Amen. Keep it Jesus. He'll do the rest. Amen. See, we got all this thinking going on. We got to do this, and we got to we got to we got to pre-plan for God to do something. He knows what He needs to do. Just let Him do it. Amen. 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 Glory to God. I want the saved. I want the more, right? Amen. That's what I want. I, I'm pressing in for the more. How about y'all? The next thing that's going to just absolutely stop that is impatience. Oh, you could have gone all morning and not said that one. Impatience. Turn to 1 Samuel 13. We're going to find out what happened to a man highly anointed by God, called by God, and he got impatient. I'm just going to start in verse 5. 1 Samuel 13, verse 5. The Philistines mustered a mighty army of 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, and as many warriors as the grains of the sand of the seashore. They camped at Machmash, east of Bethaven. The men of Israel saw what a tight spot they were in, and because they were hard-pressed by the enemy, they tried to hide in caves, thickets rocks, holes, and cisterns. Some of them crossed the Jordan River and escaped into the land of Gad and Gilead. Well, that sounds like a bunch of covenant warriors, doesn't it? They had a covenant with God Almighty. The enemy comes at you one way, they'll flee seven. They forgot that. They looked at what? The circumstances. And they responded to what? The circumstances instead of the promise. And here, meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier. But Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his, that his troops were rapidly slipping away. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering in himself. Uh-oh. And just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, What is this you have done? And Saul replied, Well, I saw my men scattering from me, and you didn't arrive when you said you would. And the Philistines are at Michmash, ready for battle. So I said, The Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked for the Lord's help. So I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. What was going on? He was impatient. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God gave you. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end, for the Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. The Lord has already appointed him to be the leader of his people, because you have not kept the Lord's command. Lord have mercy. Because of, of King Saul's impatience... He had his kingship stripped from him. I am telling you for a fact, impatience will strip you of the saved, of the more, the plenty, right. the healed, the delivered, 
the protected, it will strip you. We cannot afford to be impatient. Did you know you can let your trials and your tribulations work patience in you? You don't have to get ahead of God. You can say, Lord, I don't understand it, but I know what you've told me. And I'm just asking for the strength of the Holy Spirit to give me what I need. And I will walk through this. I am not going to get ahead of you. Impatience. Did you know Abraham and Sarah had a promise from God that they would have a son even in their days way past of childbearing? They're going to have a son. And what happened? They got impatient. After 10 or 12 years, they decided to take matters in their own hands and produced Ishmael. You know who Ishmael is? Amen. We're fighting them today. It was Ishmael's descendants that ran into the towers. Because somebody way back there got ahead of God. Do you want your family to suffer because of your impatience? No. I don't either. So we must trust God. If he said it, he'll do it. Again, don't presume. Don't look at the circumstances. Just trust God, knowing that he is faithful and he will complete the thing he told you. You got a word from God? Hang on to it. Don't get impatient or your promise will be stripped out of you. Amen. Praise the Lord for his mercy though. The last one is Matthew 18. And this one, I've preached this one here a lot, but it bears repeating because we are people and we have to deal with this issue on a daily basis. Matthew 18, Jesus is telling a parable. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. Everywhere you read, Jesus is teaching the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like this. It can be compared to a king. And I'm just going to summarize the story. There was a servant that, Matthew 18, verse 23. This king, this master, had a lot of servants. And one, one of the servants in this Bible, it says, owed his master millions of dollars. Millions of dollars. And the account was called in, the servant was brought in, and the servant said, I can't pay it, have mercy on me, O oh, oh master. And the master of this servant had pity on him and said, you know what, you don't owe it. And the servant went out all happy, but he ran into his fellow servant in the hallway that owed him, let's see what this version says, owed him what? 10,000 pounds? Yep, so this one says a few thousand dollars. Several million compared to a few thousand. In some it says 20 million compared to 20 dollars. That's, that's a big difference, isn't it? The guy that's been forgiven of the millions takes his fellow servant, it says in the word, by the collar and says, I want my money. Well, he had a lot of grace, didn't he? He had his fellow servant thrown into prison because of a measly amount of money. Well, you know, people talk and it got back to the king. And the king called that servant in that had been forgiven the millions and he said, you wicked evil servant. I forgave you the millions. Should you not have had compassion on your fellow servant and forgiven him of the little? And Jesus wound up the story, verse 33, Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. 35. 
That's what my Heavenly Father will do to you if you refuse to forgive your brothers and sisters from your heart. Is it in red? If we do not forgive from our heart, the more will not be ours. The healing, the deliverance, the protection won't be ours. It's not ours because we have been stubborn. I should have said that word. We have been stubborn about, well... They shouldn't have done that to me. Well, no, they shouldn't have. Well, if I forgive them, it'll say what they did was okay. No, it won't. It will not say it's okay. What they did was wrong. But forgiving them will make you right with God. And it's not an emotion. It is a decision of your will to speak out. I forgive and name the people. I forgive. I loose it and let it go. I forgive. And an amazing thing will happen. Something will transpire in your heart. But you've got to let it go. You've got to let it go. Don't have a choice. Do you want to be forgiven? Amen. We've been forgiven the millions and millions. We've been forgiven so we can get to our wonderful Heavenly Father and worship Him face to face and enjoy His presence and enjoy all the things that He affords us. That's the forgiven the lot. And then someone over here does something to us and we get offended. And then we get in bitterness. And then we get in unforgiveness. And your more will not come. I'm in for the more. How about y'all? I want the more. The more healed, the more delivered, the plenty, the protection in heaven. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your wonderful word where we can see, where we can see examples of how to live and, and what not to do. So thank you for having this all written down in these letters and put in a book that we can gain wisdom. And Father, I just ask that Holy Spirit just visit each one of us in this room. And show us how to have the more. Show us how to have the life of plenty, to be saved, to be healed, to be delivered, to be protected, and heaven as our future home. Give us revelation of that. And more, Father, I just ask that you give us revelation of who you are, that we can know you as Father, we can know you as Daddy. We can come in full assurance that you love us. You don't put conditions on your love. You love us, and I thank you for that. I thank you that you have our best interest in your heart and in your plans. And Father, just help us, help us agree with you in those and help us walk with you to be honoring to you and to be doing about your business of healing the sick, casting out devils, raising the dead, cleansing the lepers, and preach in the kingdom. May we preach with our lives, even so with our mouth. Father, we just thank you for all that you've done. Thank you for Jesus, and we welcome Holy Spirit, and it is in his name. Jesus, amen.